And uh, we are thrilled to welcome into the program a guy we've been looking forward to visiting with now for several weeks. And it is uh, Rick D. Boyer, and uh, his book is outstanding, God, Caesar, and Idols. And uh, those of you who listen to the program regularly know that I'm not doing a lot of book interviews. Y'all know that. I get pitched with every book out there, and I'm not doing many. But this is one that I'm uh, highly recommending to you, and we've already got you linked up. If you'll go to our social media, uh, I've already got the Amazon link there for you, because some of you are going to want to get this book, The Church and the Struggle for America's Soul, God, Caesar, and Idols. Uh, Mr. Boyer, welcome in. Greg Davis here. Glad to have you, sir. Thank you, Greg. It's terrific to be with you today. I appreciate you hunting me down. Sorry I've been so hard to reach. The, uh, the lawyer calendar is sort of running away with me, but I, I wanted to first off just thank you for what you do. I was looking at your your uh, radio station's website, and we used to have a, a local station here in Lynchburg that had a lot of the same programs, uh, Focus on the Family and Love Worth Finding, and yeah. uh, uh, David Jeremiah, and I miss it so much, and I, I just I appreciate the great work your station does. Your, your listeners are blessed, and I appreciate the great work that you do here on Priority Talk as well. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. Yeah, Crawford Broadcasting uh, is the one to thank for that. And look, Rick, not only is this a great station, it's on the largest signal in the state of Alabama, perhaps the southeast. It uh, reaches more territory than any signal around. And so it's just not something over here on the side happening. This is a major, major middle of the dial, 100,000-watt station uh, proclaiming the gospel and, uh, and great values all the time. And, man, you have done it with this book, God, Caesar, and Idols. What an outstanding work. Uh, let's take just a moment, let folks know where you're coming from. Uh, tell them about yourself. As you mentioned, you are a lawyer, a constitutional lawyer. Uh, tell them a little bit about yourself, how, how we got here, and, and why you wrote this book. Sure. Um, well, I am a, a constitutional lawyer in Lynchburg. I graduated from Liberty University School of Law. And uh, uh, Matt Saver with Liberty Council was the dean of our law school at the sure, time, sure. and uh, he, he he gave us the very best training and an understanding of the biblical foundations of our nation, the biblical foundations of our laws. And uh, I've been involved in volunteer conservative politicking since I was a, a teenager, and uh, I'd always tried to get more Christians involved in politicking, figured that if we could just get more Christians involved, that we could change our, our nation's political world. What I've discovered is, in, in 30 years of doing it, a lot of Christians get involved and they they simply do not have the biblical worldview to match. I mean, they, they believe Jesus will get them to heaven, but they have no concept of what the Bible says about government and about the proper relation of, of Christians to government and about the the idea that if, as a, my favorite quote of all time, I think, on the, the idea of the church and government, is from Abraham Kuyper, who was the great Reformed theologian from Holland, and also, incidentally, the Prime Minister of Holland in mm -hmm. his day. And he said that if, uh, he said Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all, and he said there is, there is not a single square inch in all of human existence where Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all, does not cry, mine. Mm -hmm. And I've, that's sort of my life verse, if you will, although it's not Scripture, but it's my life quote, uh, if Jesus is not Lord of all, Jesus is not Lord at all, and yeah. we, we too many Christians, we, we make this great mistake of consigning Jesus to Sunday and the rest of the world to the other six days, and we we adopt the world's terminology, the world's uh, um, nomenclature the other six days of the week, and then we, we go to church on Sunday, and when we get involved and we do become active in politics, we're utterly unprepared, utterly defenseless against the 
assaults of the the false ideologies, the social justice, the Marxism, the um, socialism, whatever the false ideology may be, we're utterly unprepared because we don't understand how the Bible addresses these issues. And so I I wrote this book in the the backwash of the 2017 campaign here in, in Campbell County, just outside of Lynchburg, Virginia, where I live. We had this terrific Bible-believing, biblical worldview Christians running for office, and they lost some races right here in in the Bible Belt, if you will, Mm -hmm. the shadow of Liberty University, because they took scriptural positions on things like transgender bathrooms in the local public schools, and a lot of folks who were professing Christians couldn't deal with the blowback, couldn't deal with the pressure, and caved on the issue, and we lost some races that we should have won, and it it, it really broke my heart to watch my neighbors change gods right in front of my eyes, mm. or, or at least demonstrate that they already had changed gods. And this book really grew out of just a lot of soul-searching from that election, trying to figure out why the gospel is not transforming and even, even those who believe it. And the, the problem can't be the gospel. The problem has got to be something else. It has to be our understanding of the gospel or our, our misunderstanding of the gospel. And this book was a, an attempt just to answer the questions that I was struggling with coming out of that election. Yeah, well, it's outstanding. And look, I'll just go ahead and jump in. Uh, you mentioned that issue. You talk about it in the first part of the book. And now um, the Biden administration last week um, through the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Food, Nutrition Service announcing that it's going to uh, cut funding, federal funding for low-income students in the, in the school lunch program if the school does not adopt the administration's um, LGBT uh, Title IX interpretation. Uh, I, I guess you've heard this. Have you heard that? I have not heard that. Yeah. Thing, but it, it, it sort of it sort of figures our, our administration will have the kids go hungry before they'll let them uh, actually subscribe to their parents' values. It's, yeah, and the two things are the, the bathroom and sports. And, of course, Alabama, our huh. state, has passed a law concerning both of those issues saying that uh you know your birth certificate is the is the sex or your gender uh for the bathroom and to play sports and so um yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see like you said people people compromised and so um the compromise continues but yeah i could have never imagined that i maybe i could have imagined that uh an administration would go that low to cut funding uh for low-income students for their meals in order to uh, force uh, this uh, LGBT, uh, you know, gender-neutral stuff upon our public schools. Unbelievable. But where we, where we lost the battle, Greg, was years before we realized we had lost it. When we, when we abandoned the words of Jesus in Matthew 19, when he said that for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, and what God has joined together let not man put asunder. Yep. When the church caved on that, because we wanted to have our little pet compromises that, that, that are not nearly so, um, uh, they're, they're not the, the great sins of, of LGBTQ, transgender, it, it's just the little sins of, of cheating on our marriage vows or, or not taking our marriage vows as seriously as the Lord does. And once we made those compromises, I, I mentioned this in my book back in 2006 when I was the Central Virginia coordinator for our marriage amendment campaign in Virginia, which... That's been 16 years ago when the the marriage amendment would actually have passed in Virginia. But our opponents on the other side were saying, look, your your divorce rate in your church is 50 percent, and you're telling us if you let us go get married, too, that we're going to destroy the institution. It looks to us like you pretty well destroyed the institution without our help. And we just, we didn't have 
a good response. Uh, if, and it's, if the church, and it, it's amazing to me, and again, we, we talk about this in, in God, Caesar, and Idols, the world looks at the church as schizophrenic, because from, on, on the one hand, we'll tell them, oh, there's this God up there in the sky somewhere, there's this Jesus up there in the sky somewhere, and after you die, he's going to take you to this place that we can't scientifically prove called heaven, and we believe this, but we don't believe the very simple basic truth about how to live our life when he says one man for one woman for one lifetime and, and let not man put asunder what God's going together. And they, they see us as schizophrenic, and very accurately so. Uh, if, if we do not practice what we preach, and that's where the church lost this battle. I mean, we, we didn't lose it with the Biden administration or the Obama administration. Yeah. We lost it with with cheap and easy divorce in the in the church. We lost it with the... When we surrendered the biblical sexual ethic, we have no reason to tell them why they can't choose their pet sins just as well as we choose ours. Well, you're making. I've made the same point before, in in my own words. Um, you know, it, it's you know we we saw truth sort of become relative, and and truth to a, to a to a new generation uh, or two maybe a couple of generations ago became truth is whatever works you know it's very pragmatic and people were looking at marriage and going that doesn't work and so um why should i adhere to that the way you're doing it does it work because like you said everybody was uh uh you know committing adultery and uh you know being divorced and and not to say there's not forgiveness for that and personal personal uh, redemption and um and restoration i'm not not saying that at all but the overall effect on the culture was devastating and yeah we we gave away marriage and now most marriages rick you know they're not even they're, we don't even have marriages in the church not the evangelical church the catholic church yep. does but we don't yep. even have marriage in the church um everybody gets married somewhere we there's nothing sacred about marriage any longer you you, you sort of got to the heart of the, of the problem greg talking about truth we, we have an entire chapter devoted yep. to uh Absolute Truth, Chapter 3 in, in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's, it's honestly as simple as this. If there's no such thing, I mean, when, when you look at the George Barna surveys, it will just blow your mind, and yep. we, we cite several of those in the book, where your, your average professing evangelical doesn't believe there's evangelical truth. But all, all roads sort of lead to the same place, and, and anybody who just worships any idea of, of what they consider to be God, where, where they're all going to heaven when they die, uh, the honest truth is, and Paul makes this plain, that if, if the entire Word of God cannot be trusted for what it says, then none of it can be trusted. And Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is vain. If God was a liar on just one thing, on just one little point, then your eternal security is one great giant uh, game of Russian roulette. It's one giant game of chance. And when we have... Uh, and I cite a couple of instances, um, Joel Osteen and a couple of others who get on Larry King and are asked if, yeah. uh, do, do people who don't believe in Jesus go to heaven? And, well, I'm not sure. God has yeah. to be the judge of that. Well, I'm sure because Jesus told us. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and mm-hmm. no man comes to the Father but by me. Um, we've, we've adopted, and we've talked about this at length in the book as well, uh, the, the religion of tolerance. I mean, now that's, at least in yeah, I tell you, Rick, I, I'm going to hit the bottom of the hour here, so let's. I want to yep. save tolerance until we come back. But um, okay. you, you mentioned Chapter 3, and just before we hit the break here, you, you talk about um, Alabama, you talk about uh, uh, Roy Moore, and uh, yep. as part of that marriage, uh, Sanctity of Marriage Amendment. 
Uh, you talk about that, and then you, you tie that in um, to Russell Moore. And, and if we can't um, finish this by the bottom of the hour, I want to talk about that yeah, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll continue our conversation with Rick Boyer. Look, his book is uh, outstanding. You need you need to be reading it. <laughs> uh, I would even say church members, uh, buy this for your pastor. Buy this for your staff. God, Caesar, and Idols, The Church and the Struggle for America's Soul. Rick Boyer, B-O-Y-E-R. And we've got it linked up at our Facebook and our social media sites Uh, and even at our ALCAP site as well. So we hope you'll go there and find it. It's Priority Talk Live. We will be right back more of this conversation. Stay with us. It is Priority Talk Live. Greg Davis here with you. Thank you for being with us. We are having a conversation with Rick Boyer. His uh, book is Outstanding, God, Caesar, and Idols, The Church and the Struggle for America's Soul. Uh, I uh, found the book, was referred to the book, and... um, began reading it and uh, and tracked him down to say uh, you've got to be on our program we've got to talk through some of these issues and uh, we are doing so uh, so find the book rick d boyer b-o-y-e-r god caesar and idols we want to invite you to get it uh, give it to your pastor uh, because he really hits on many of the issues that uh, are so important uh, to us right now uh, not so much in a culture war but rick you call it a uh, not a culture war but a clash of gods uh, ex- explain what you mean that's exactly what it is, Greg. Uh, it's a clash of gods. Um, it has always been this way throughout throughout all of history. If you go all the way back to Moses and the um, and his contest, his conquest with Pharaoh, it was a clash of gods. I mean, God brought curses on all the Egyptian gods. They worshipped the Nile. They worshipped frogs. They worshipped uh, the fertility gods. So he he turned the water to blood. He brought all the frogs. He destroyed the firstborn. Uh, every one of the plagues was an attack on the gods of Egypt. Um, and it, is, it has been that way forever. God will not share his glory with another that has never been um, um, optional with God. That's what destroyed ancient Israel. And they didn't shut down the temple sacrifices. They brought in other gods. I mean, King Solomon didn't quit. He didn't tear down the temple, but he put up all the high places and brought in all the gods for his foreign wives. He, he tried to mix God with other gods, and it never works. And our the one of the chief arguments in the book is that the American church has more or less, we, we have two gods. We have the state, we have Caesar, if you will, and we have God. And uh, you were talking a little bit about uh, Chief Justice Roy Moore a little bit ago. Uh, back when, just before the uh, Obergefell decision that instituted homosexual marriage all across the country, uh, you had a lone federal judge in Alabama who said, well, never mind what the Alabama Constitution says, well, we're going to order the Alabama judges to, uh, to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples. Well, Chief Justice Moore said, no, we're not, and he ordered the, the probate judges in Alabama to only issue marriage licenses to uh, opposite-sex couples. And uh, Russell Moore, no relation, right. who was the head of the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission at the time, he wrote an article basically saying if Christian uh, politicians, judges, leaders cannot enforce the law as it's written, they should just step down and protest quietly as citizens. Uh, there's no biblical warrant for that, Greg. Mm. If you look at, and we, we talk about this at length in the book, when, when Daniel was told you, can, you have to pray for, for 30 days to Darius, and then you can go right back to praying to your God, but you've got to have another God for 30 days, he didn't resign his position. Uh, he opened the same window that looked out over the square and prayed toward Jerusalem like he always had. He made no attempt to hide what he was doing. It was a very public protest. When his three friends were told you have to bow on the plain of Dura, 
the whole leadership of the nation as they are bowing. And you have these three Hebrews who said, we will not bow. They didn't resign their positions. They didn't go home and, and quietly protest. And if you look at they the just They just didn't bow. They just didn't bow. Yeah. And if you look at the reaction when when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar saw what happened and saw that fourth man in the fire, he said, there's no other God who can deliver like these men's God can deliver, and we're going to tear down the houses of anybody who, who says a, neg- a negative word against the God of Israel. King Darius did the same thing. And just after declaring himself God, when, when uh, Daniel took his courageous stand and uh, Darius saw God work, he said, you know what, don't let anybody in this kingdom say a word against the God of Daniel, because there's no other God who can deliver this way. So you see cultures getting transformed specifically because the Christian leaders refuse to go away and protest privately. Um, what, what Russell Moore's position does, and it's, it's really based, I think, on a mistaken reading of Romans 13, but it basically says obedience to Caesar equals obedience to God. Mm-hmm. But that is not what Scripture teaches, but, and, and we'll, we'll get into that more if you have time. But basically Russell Moore is saying you, if, if you can't obey your, your obedience to God has to be quiet and in the closet and on your own time. But when the state says you, you cannot, when the state says you must take an unbiblical action, your only two choices are uh, to do what the state tells you and disobey God or just go quietly away and protest as a citizen. That's not what Scripture says. And John the Baptist got himself in trouble for telling King Herod, it's not lawful to have your brother's wife. That was a very public protest. Yeah. Um, and it was lawful under the civil laws of Rome, and, and uh, at the time, it just wasn't lawful under the law of God. I mean, Herod wasn't one of God's people. He was an Edomite under the command of the heathen Romans, telling God's people what to do. And John told him, God's law applies to you, a complete heathen. God's law applies. You're breaking God's law. Um, it was a very public protest. And that's what Scripture demands and commands of, of God's people, is to challenge sin in the culture, not to slink away and hide and, and protest quietly, but to publicly tell the king, like, like King Samuel did, like the prophet Samuel did, rather, to King Saul. He said, you have disobeyed the voice of the Lord, and he's taking the kingship from you. We need Christians with the courage of John the Baptist and Elijah and Samuel, and instead we get Russell Moore. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think um, so many pastors, and, and we'll go beyond, you know, like a Russell Moore type, but just local church pastors, do you think they have a, a bad understanding of this or, or, or not enough understanding? Or, or do you think we'll be ready, they'll be ready to stand when that time comes in their own community, their own city, their own county? I, I think if we have a... Yeah. Honestly, I don't. Honestly, I don't. Uh, if there's... We, we've been trained in this idea of of tolerant Jesus, we've been trained in this idea of mm-hmm. Christianity as democracy. That there's there's all these yeah. all these different ideas. All these. I mean, your your way may work for you. My way my way may work for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have the we we don't have the courage to say you know what this is wrong. I mean, the word of God is 100 percent true in all cultures at all times for all people forever. You look throughout the Old Testament. God doesn't just pour down curses on his own people when they disobey. But it's three for, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, for three transgressions of Edom and for four, for three transgressions of Philistia and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof. He judged these nations who didn't even know it because they violated his law. And we are supposed to be proclaiming this law to, uh, to the government, to the state, to Caesar. We're supposed to be challenging these false gods 
uh, the, the God of Caesar, the, the God of uh, whatever that God may be. I think our, our greatest, the greatest challenge to Jehovah in the United States is big government, it's Caesar. It's the idea that if God can't supply all your needs, look to the government to do it for you. Yep. yep. But I quote, I quote at length in uh, in chapter five, the the, to- the uh, tolerance chapter, uh, A. W. Tozer, who's just terrific. I mean, Tozer said he said sometimes there are there are times when it's a sin to be at peace. Uh, he says, and I'll quote him here. He says, "We have developed in recent times a peace-loving, soft-spoken, tame, and harmless brand of Christian, of whom the world has no fear and for whom it has little respect." We fear to talk against the destructive sins of modern civilization for fear someone would brand us as bigoted and narrow. Then he says this. He says, No man is tolerant when it concerns his life or the life of his child, and no one will agree to negotiate over any religious matter that he considers vital to his eternal welfare. Imagine Moses, he says, agreeing to take part in a panel discussion with Israel over the golden calf, or Elijah engaging in a gentlemanly dialogue with the prophets of Baal, right. or try to picture our Lord Jesus Christ seeking a meeting of the minds with the Pharisees to iron out differences. Uh, we need we need pastors. Not Christian politicians would be great, but right now what we need more than anything is Christians, Christian leaders in the pulpit who have the courage to say, "Thus saith the Lord," and that's really all that matters. And that the Old Testament prophets—that's all they needed to know. Yeah. Thus saith the Lord. Um, and then once they heard, once they figured out what the Lord said, that was all they needed to know. That was the only standard that they needed. There's there's great courage in this. When when Jesus said, "Because I am alive forevermore, because I've risen from the dead, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth." And therefore, under that authority, you go and you teach all nations, not just how to go to heaven, but teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's the great commission: all things not just how to get off the sinking ship of the Titanic and, and go to heaven when you die, but all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Mm-hmm. Challenge the false gods. Challenge Caesar. Tell him he's wrong. Uh, and we, we just, in, when this, I mean, this country was founded, uh, the, the, the pastors were known as the Black-Robed Regiment. Right, right. And uh, King George III referred to the Revolution as the Presbyterian War because you had so many Presbyterian preachers, John Witherspoon and so many others, who were preaching for independence and crying out against the, the tyranny of the, the English king. It was, and John Adams said that the, the, uh, the preachers were the real reason behind the, the revolution, not the, the men who wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, but the preachers in the pulpits, uh, fresh off the Great Awakening, understanding that they had the responsibility to call Caesar to account when Caesar was wrong. Yeah. Rick Boyer is our guest, God, Caesar, and Idols, and that uh, long quote you gave, from Tozer, um, I had marked that in my copy of the book right here on page 77 and 78. It's all in there. Uh, I would encourage you. Look, Rick, at some point I was reading your book, and um, at some point I just quit underlining and highlighting because I was underlining <laughs> and highlighting the whole book. <laughs> like It was like, okay, let me, let me underline what I don't want to r- go back and read again. Uh, I mean, every chapter, uh, every page, every paragraph practically is uh, just rich. Of uh, of really what I'd call biblical values and uh, and truth that uh, so many of us need to reorientate ourselves to God Caesar and idols the church and the struggle for America's soul Rick Boyer is our guest um, so we've uh, we've we've talked about uh, tolerance um, and uh, well we hit around tolerance I want to get to that um, but I also uh, want to mention want to talk about what you call the half great commission. Uh, and uh, and and why you say it's so destructive 
to the church's influence here in America. So I'll, let's take a break. And when we come back on the other side, uh, can we go there? Is that is that a good place for us to pick back up? That'll be great. Thank you, Greg. Okay, the Half Great Commission. When we come back, Rick Boyer, our guest, it's outstanding book, uh, God, Caesar, and Idols. Uh, find it and uh, and read it. I don't think you'll regret it. We return and continue our visit with Rick D. Boyer, B-O-Y-E-R, his book, God, Caesar, and Idols. Uh, we do hope you'll find it. Um, we have that uh, on our uh, social medias for you, so you can go there and uh, you'll find it pretty quickly. Or just Google God, Caesar, and Idols. You'll find the book. You can also uh, check out ChristandCultureMedia.com, and uh, that's Rick's website. And you can find the book there as well, ChristandCultureMedia.com. All right, uh, Rick, our final uh, 10 or 11 minutes here together. Uh, talk to us about the Half Great Commission. You know, we, we got plenty of people in our state that uh, are great commission churches, great commission Christians. Talk to us about the Half Great Commission, why it's so um, destructive to the church's influence uh, in America. We'll do, Greg. We, we sort of touched on it just a little bit. We did. Uh, when, when Jesus said, because of the authority I've given you, or the authority that's been given to me, he said, go therefore and teach all nations baptizing them, making disciples. That's number one. That's the half of the Great Commission. The other half is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. We do really well on the first half. We tell people how to go to heaven, but we don't tell them a whole lot about... We tell people how to how to get to know Jesus and how to go meet Jesus, but how to live for Jesus and be an ambassador for Jesus. In the meantime, we do a terrible job of telling them. Um, I quote from Nancy Piercy uh, at length, and, and we actually got her permission to do basically a book review in a, in a chapter 12. But when she talks about a Christian worldview, she says that Scripture actually includes two great commissions. Uh, the, the, one is the familiar Matthew 28, go therefore and teach all nations, but the other is the cultural mandate where, uh, where Jesus tells, or God tells Adam in the Garden of Eden to go and tend the, tend the garden and, uh, and, and to keep the garden. That, uh, that is what Piercy says, that is, uh, well, let me just quote her. So the first phrase, be fruitful and multiply, means to develop the social world, build families, churches, schools, cities, governments, laws. The second phrase, subdue the earth, means to harness the natural world, plant crops, build bridges, design computers, compose music. This passage is sometimes called the cultural mandate because it tells us that our original purpose was to create cultures, build civilizations, nothing less. Uh, we have... We understand that the Bible speaks to our Sunday lives, but we don't understand that it speaks to our Monday through Saturday lives. And that's why I, I answered your earlier question. I yep. don't think preachers are prepared for when the trouble comes. If we understand that Scripture is a command for all of life, that it's all Scripture is given, and, and it's, it's profitable for that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished for all good works, not just his personal devotion, not just evangelism, not just how to go to heaven, but also how to fight back against the false gods of our culture. Uh, the, the half the Great Commission, we, we do a pretty good job of telling people how to go to heaven, but telling them how to, again, be an ambassador for Jesus in a, in a sick and dying culture, we don't tell them how to do very well. Um, and when and that, that half Great Commission has forced us into a world where, again, they don't take us seriously. Well, that's just your religion. We're, we're out here in the, real, the realm of science and the real world and history and politics, and you're just there in your religion world. The Bible speaks to science. The Bible speaks to history. The Bible speaks to mathematics. God is the author of all of these things. Sure. And we've surrendered virtually the entire world except for the theological, except for the religious. And 
we've we have surrendered it. The other side didn't take it from us. We gave it away. We we abdicated. And uh, I, I would just call on pastors to preach the whole Great Commission, preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, tell our people we need more Elijahs. We need more John the Baptist. Uh, we need more Samuels, and we're we're just missing those in the pulpits, and so we're we're missing them in the pews as well. Yeah. Okay, uh, I feel like we sort of have uh, zeroed in probably on, I mean, this is, uh, how many pages is your book? Um, not counting the uh, all the end notes uh, and appendixes, it's uh, 250 pages. And I feel like we've probably, what, Rick, maybe we've talked about four or five pages in the book, maybe. <laughs> I mean, we, we've zeroed in really tight on a couple of these issues. There's so much in this book. It is so rich. Uh, I want to I give people a little bit more of a bigger picture of what you do here because uh, I really want people to get your book and read it, God, Caesar, and Idols, The Church in the Struggle for America's Soul. Um, and, and so you're talking, um, obviously, God, and then we're talking, you talk about Caesar, you talk about idols, uh, and you identify these idols and, um, and, 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 and try to give us the arguments uh, for, uh, against, uh, against these. Uh, let's just let's get a couple of these in here. We won't get to all of them, sure. but... We mentioned absolute truth, so we'll we'll kind of go with that one. Um, you do have a, a whole chapter on tolerance. Um, just tell us a moment uh, how you approach the tolerance. Christianity is not tolerant. Well, there is been some of the most intolerant words that were ever spoken were Jesus when he said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no man comes to the Father but by me." Um, when when he said that there are going to be a lot of of sincere people at the judgment seat as they didn't we do all these things in your name didn't we prophesy didn't we uh, cast out demons didn't we minister in your name and i'm going to say i never knew you uh, depart from me you who work iniquity there's going to be a lot of sincere people who don't get in uh, there are there are if, if you look at uh, you look at i mean we, we talked about uh tozer at length uh, there's the, the modern American religion, at least until the last couple of years, we're, we're starting to see that they're not any more tolerant than, than the most no. intolerant. Uh, whoever the most intolerant person you can imagine, but the left is not tolerant. But the... the uh, well, they, they uh, were tolerant. The left, they, were, they, they screamed tolerance until everybody accepted what they do, and they, now they they're not tolerant. tolerant. Uh, now, now tolerance is out the window now, really. Yes, they scream tolerance when they're in the minority. Once they have the majority, they're the most intolerant force yes, on Yes, great way to say uh, it, yes. But to tolerance, there, there's, there's no tolerance for evil in Scripture. And he's a holy God who cannot look upon iniquity. There is no tolerance for other gods. Uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I will not share my glory with another. Uh, it, it either is God... I mean, Francis Schaeffer said it is either God or it is Caesar. It cannot be God and Caesar. Uh, and unfortunately, we have, we have, and that's largely why we're not fitted and prepared and, and armed to go up against Caesar and the false God. I mean, that's why we shut our churches down when they tell us shut our churches down. Yeah. Because we've, we've adopted their tolerance language to the point where we, we really have oftentimes changed God's. I mean, the ultimate authority is what the state says, not what Jesus says. And well, Jesus says, "Don't." Well, here, here, I heard many. I heard a lot of churches say, and I know they meant well. I heard a lot say on that issue you're talking about. Uh, well, we'll shut down because we want to be good neighbors. I heard that a lot. Sure. And so they almost they kind of took the Bible and looped it back around to the backside to excuse that. Uh, what what, were you, what are your thoughts on that that line of thinking when when 
when the state said you can't meet on Easter Sunday, and we said, well, we want to be good neighbors. Well, our, our church even shut down for a couple of weeks because we thought this might be Ebola where yeah. people are just dying like flies. Uh, when it, it became obvious that it was way overblown, we're, we're not, we, we didn't want the whole church to, if it was the Black Plague kind of a situation, we didn't want to get together and the whole church die. Mm-hmm. But once we were able to get a handle on it and realize that, that the church is not going to drop dead, uh, we we reopened the doors right away. Um, and I understand that rationale. Mm-hmm. What I don't understand, and what the Bible has no tolerance for, is the government telling you you must shut down. I mean, there was one of our my friend's churches here locally. They made that decision, well, the, the government has said we shouldn't meet. Uh, we, we need to obey our rulers. I wish we had more time to talk about Romans 13. We, we devote a whole chapter to the yeah. misinterpretation of Romans 13. I mean, Paul said that all authority is ordained of God, and it's delegated authority. It's inferior, subordinate authority to the all-important authority of God. And Jesus said, render to Caesar what's Caesar's, and to God what's God's. God is the one who is omnipresent. God is the one who is omniscient. God is the one who deserves our worship. Everything else must be secondary. He must be first. He must be uh, Lord over all. And, and in the American church, it's time we, we restored him for that right. Well, place. you have a whole chapter. The book's worth Roman, the chapter 7 by itself, uh, Redeeming Romans 13. Uh, you've got uh, titles. I'll just, I'm just going, I just want the listeners to hear uh, God and Caesar. I am God and there is none other. Um, you talk about the, the schoolhouse against the church, uh, right. rightly dividing Bible buzzwords. Uh, that's so much about language, uh, betrayed by yep. the pulpits. Uh, then where there is no vision, the people perish, and that's evan- evangelicalism's failure to teach a Christian worldview. Uh, we have George Barn on the program pretty regularly, and so we, we hear that. We, we see what's going yep. on there. Uh, revival or ruin, calling the church to challenge the culture, and that's really the crux of where this comes. And then uh, then you've got some great appendixes in the back as well. So, uh, Rick, just you've done an outstanding job Um uh, is, is this your first book to have written? I know you're a lawyer, so you've written a lot. But is this your first published sure. book? Yes, sir. Yeah, it is. I never really set out to write a book. I mean, I, we were talking in the break that uh, my my just soul searching and prayer and, and heartbreak over the watching what happened in the 2017 election. Uh, it, it really it, it really felt like the book wrote itself. I, I didn't really sit down to write a book. Um, the it felt like it felt like God was in it, and I just I hope that somewhere that somebody somewhere will, will be blessed and benefited I, I just i think these issues have been ignored or misunderstood so often yeah. in evangelicalism and it, i think they need to be discussed well, it needs to be debated yeah look there's there's pastors i'm just telling you you need you need to have this one sitting on your desk you're going to be referring to it all the time uh rick what a pleasure thank you sir for your time and we will look forward to having you back on the program again Thank you, Greg. Thank you for the great service that you do for our folks in Alabama. Thank you. ChristandCultureMedia.com. Also, you can uh, go to our social media and find the Amazon link, God, Caesar, and Idols. We'll be right back. We've got another hour yet to come. <laughs> 